0: This series, Seeking You Will Find, is based on an amazing section of scripture that really was foundational for me in seeking God, in actually making contact. You know, we have our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, and reach up is a real relationship with the living God is available to you. And I've found that out based on reading Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and taking Uh, God at his word and going ahead and seeking and knocking. But let's read this section. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we need to be asking. We need to be seeking. This is an amazing promise and we are invited to ask and seek and knock. That means that Jesus is calling us to initiate. He's putting the ball in our court. You can knock, you can seek, you can ask. You know, if somebody says, hey, yeah, call me anytime, then whose turn is it? It's your turn to call them. And if you don't call them, then don't be mad at them. Jesus here is saying that we can seek, we can knock, we can ask, and God will respond. But we have to initiate that. So let's seek wisely. Let's make sure that we're seeking after things that are actually good for us. Last time we talked about like winning the lottery and how for a whole lot of people that doesn't help them. But let's seek wisely. So in this series, we're going to seek after three different things. You know, and I believe these are interrelated. But we're going to talk about trying to find our peace. And then trying to find our people. And trying to find our purpose. I think these are intertwined, you know, peace in your heart. Peace with this world. Peace with God. Peace with who you are. Finding your people. A place of belonging. Where you fit in in this world. That's so important. And then purpose, not a meaningless life, but a purposeful life. That's, that's what we're gonna be looking after. And last week we talked about trying to find your peace with God, You know, not rejecting God, running from God or blaming God, not having these issues with God, but coming to peace with God. So today we're gonna to talk about finding your peace with yourself, finding peace with who you are, And I think in today's world, this is a huge issue. So many people are not at peace with who they are, but this is essential and attainable. I believe we can have peace with who we are, that we can look square in the mirror and then after we get over our disappointment, we can be at peace with who we are. I I honestly believe that, that we can get there. What would your life be like if you were at peace with yourself, that there weren't internal conflicts, if you weren't battling against yourself on the inside, what would your life be like? So let's try to get this one. And of course, really, I'm trying to scratch the surface. This is a huge topic, but I'm just trying to scratch the surface and hopefully we'll get somewhere good. So open your hearts to the Lord and let him speak to you. All right, God made you. God is the creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of each individual person, knows you by name, knit us together in our mother's womb, as it says. God made you and God does not make mistakes. Have you heard that one before? That's uh, kind of a cute little one. God doesn't make mistakes. God made you, so you are not a mistake. However, God does not make us complete he creates us in the process. You know, he starts us off and then we're not finished. You know, are you finished? Am I finished? Of course not. We're in this developmental process. We're, we're becoming. And so we're not created complete. We're created unfinished. And you and I, we have a very significant role in our own growth process, You have a huge role in actively participating in becoming who you are, becoming who you need to be, becoming who God created you to be. You've got a role in that. I've got a role in that for me. So you may have heard of the the nature nurture debate where, you know, what makes me who I am? What makes you who you are? Is it nature? Is it just what you're born with? Is it things innate to who you are or is it nurture? Is it the experiences and the environment that you're in? Is it nature or nurture? And you know, there's interesting things about identical twins being separated at birth and, and what happens with them and you know, the, the nurture is different, but the nature is very similar, you know, and, and people, you know, kind of push that way. And I tell you what, your nature, how you were born, you know, your personality type, different things like this are very significant in who you are and your nurture. The experiences you've had are very significant in making you who you are. But I'm going to throw out there a third influence. Okay, because I think nature and nurture are not enough. There is something much more powerful, something that can be much more powerful than even those two, and that is spirit. That is your spirit within you, your free will, your will to choose to to do this or that or to overcome or to seek or not. Your will, your spirit guided by the Holy Spirit can shape you and help make you who you're supposed to be into who God created you to become. So understand that you have a role in this. It's not just, well, I was born that way or well, you know, they lied to me when I was a kid or whatever, this terrible thing happened. and Now I'm just this. You have a role in that. You have free will. You have power. You have the ability to overcome those things and grab hold of the things of God by your own spirit in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God working in you. So don't think it's just nature or nurture. There's you too in my pre-Christian life, it would have been called self-actualization ability. You can go ahead and do that. I believe it's more like spirit actualization, like God will help us beyond our genetic code and beyond our experiences. There's the power of God that we can tap into to become who we're supposed to be. So that's the third influence. Now, I believe when God made you, he did his part right. Okay? I don't think he messed up. He, God does not make mistakes. I think that is fair. When God made me, he did not make any mistakes. But again, he did not make us complete. He did his part right. How about this world, the environment that we're in, the experiences that we have, the nurture that we've experienced? I think it's too often tragically cruel and wrong, the experiences that people have. They're oftentimes damaged Romans 12:21 says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Why would it say in Romans, you know, that we need to fight against being overcome by evil? It's because if you're living in this world, it's pretty easy to be overcome by evil. You can just get steamrolled over by the darkness of this world and then there you are, flat as a pancake. But the scriptures say do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that, that there's a way to tap into the power of God to be an overcomer instead of a victim. Instead of crushed, we rise to the occasion. So this world, the nature, the experiences that we have are too often tragically cruel and wrong. So your job then, my job, is to be the creative, intelligent, freed-willed being that God created you to be and to take control of your life by running to God and letting him finish his work in your heart so that you're not corrupted by this evil world. That's your job is to run to God, to tap into the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God, to align your spirit, your will with God and just become. That's your responsibility. That's your job. So run to Jesus and let him build you up into who you were created to be. All right. So as we work through this, let's look at two people that Jesus had interesting interactions with. The first one, we're going to talk about guilt. So often when we look in the mirror, we see someone guilty and we're not at peace with who we are. The second one is going to have to do with rejection. So many times we look in the mirror and we see someone rejected. We might even reject ourselves. We see rejection in the mirror. And then we'll talk about these two interactions and then we'll talk about just the teaching of Jesus with regards to selfishness and how that can be something that causes us not to be at peace with who we are. So guilt, rejection, selfishness. We're going to try to deal with these three things as we try to have peace with who we are. First one, let's look at an interesting interaction that Jesus had with a particular fisherman. This is the account of the calling of the great apostle Peter. So he's not a believer. He's a Jewish man, but he's not a A follower of Jesus. I don't even know how much he knew who Jesus was. This was pretty early on in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let's go to Luke 5. We'll read 1 through 8. Talk about that a little bit and then we'll finish the passage. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Simon is Peter's name before Jesus gave him the name Peter. Simon Peter. So this is Peter. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. an incredible miracle to show his love and his plan for Peter. Peter was there listening to Jesus speak, listening to him teach. I don't know what he taught. It's not recorded, but my guess is it has something to do with the gospel, you know, that that you can be saved, you can turn to God, you can uh, have purpose in in the Lord, you know, like I'm pretty sure it was stuff like that. And so when Peter saw this miraculous catch of fish, it was like the biggest payday they could possibly imagine. So many fish that both boats began to sink. Now it didn't sink both of the boats, but you know what I mean? They're so low in the water that a little bit of water is coming over. They're that full of fish, which is their payday. You know what I mean? That's cash money right there. You know, they sell the fish. That's how they get their, that's how they get their money. That's their paycheck. And so, this is an incredible miracle. So, Jesus has been teaching good stuff, maybe calling people to repentance and, you know, turn from your wicked ways, that sort of a thing. And Peter sees, like, oh, there's power behind what this guy has to say. And instead of saying, wow, thanks for the fish. That was fantastic. He says, go away. I'm a sinful man. All of a sudden, he realizes that he does not deserve to stand in the presence of Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the Son of God. And he is humbled by his own sin, his own guilt, his own imperfections. That's a strange response, but it's based on Peter not being at peace with who he is because he knows his own guilt. He knows his own sin. Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Jesus does not accept Peter's suggestion to go away. Let's keep reading. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So we see there's, there's four of the 12 in this whole situation. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So apparently they left that massive catch of fish for somebody else. But Jesus doesn't disagree with Peter. He doesn't say, oh, (laughs) you're not a sinful man. You're a good guy. Come on. He doesn't disagree with Peter. What he says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to look at who you are square in the mirror and see your faults because guess what? Jesus has forgiveness and freedom, and redemption. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Don't be afraid. Your past does not define your future. Don't be afraid. Jesus doesn't disagree with Peter. He calls Peter up into a new life. So how does Peter come to peace with who he is regarding his guilt? Not by just pretending he has no guilt or shame and claiming to have peace that eludes him, That's not how he does it. Like, yeah, I'm a good guy. He doesn't pretend. Rather, by actually repenting, getting forgiven and redeemed, and turning his life over to Jesus. He leaves everything and follows Jesus. That's how he gets peace with who he is. The world will tell you that you're not guilty when you are, and that will leave you stuck where you are. The world will say, oh, you're not a sinful man. Oh, that's everybody's like that. Oh, don't worry about it. You're fine. The world will tell you that you are not guilty when you are, but then you're stuck where you are. Don't let your guilt, the darkness within you, rob you of your peace with yourself because Jesus has a cure for that. Repent, turn to the Lord, and let Jesus fill your heart with his light. So that's dealing with our guilt. Now let's look at rejection. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter 15 and read a rather amazing interaction that Jesus has with a woman of Canaanite descent. So here we go. Matthew 15, we're gonna read 21 through 28. Amazing section here. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, there is a whole bunch of stuff to talk about with regards to this section. And if you've never heard this one before, this might seem very bizarre because this is Matthew chapter 15, the beginning of the sermon. We talked about Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, you know, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given to you. If if your son asks you for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. How much more will your father in heaven give you good gifts? And here we see a woman crying out, seeking after, just banging down the door. And she gets rejection after rejection after rejection. So Jesus doesn't say anything. The disciples are like, get out of here. She fights her way in. He says, look, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, I'm not going to toss the bread to the dogs. And she says, hey, but even the dogs eat the crumbs off that fall off the master's table. And he's like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> we're we're going to give you something good. And she grabs hold of it. This woman was rejected by society. She's a Canaanite. She was rejected by Jewish society. She was not of the chosen people. Was she rejected by God? And it stinks when you get rejected everywhere you turn. You know what I mean? That's rough. When you get rejected everywhere you turn. And it's much worse when you internalize that rejection and identify with it as who you are, as rejected. This Canaanite woman was not identifying as rejected. She refused to be rejected. She's like, no, I'm getting my miracle. My daughter deserves a miracle. I'm going to go get it. And she went and went and got it. Hallelujah. But don't internalize that rejection. When I was a new believer, I came from a a very non-Christian environment and uh, one that looked down on Christians. And then when I became a Christian, I didn't fit in with my group anymore, my whole culture. And I certainly didn't fit in with Christians, you know, because... It just, I just saw the world a different way. I didn't grow up the same way. I had all kinds of questions that they just didn't want to even deal with, and I didn't fit in with the Christians, and I didn't fit in with the secular people, the unbelievers, the you know the, the people I was with before, and so that was rough. I slipped into feelings of rejection on both sides, rejected from where I came from, and rejected where I was going. I've got a pastor colleague, African American pastor here in Minnesota who uh, wanted to connect with his roots. So he went back and visited Africa to just kind of get a sense of grounding of who he is, coming to peace with who he is. And while he was over there, they kept saying this word when he was around. because it's a different language, not English. And, and uh, so he asked the people that were with him, like, what are they saying? And they're like, oh, they're calling you something. He said, well, they're calling you white man. So this is an African-American who feels rejected by American culture, put you know into a lower bracket and hindered, who then is looking for where he belongs by trying to connect with his heritage, goes back there in Africa and they call him a white man. And I don't pretend to understand what that felt like in his heart, but when he was telling that story, he had a look. Uh, sometimes we don't know where we fit. And I think that's pretty much a, a universal reality. Even people who look like they fit in and have everything going for them, a lot of times they're struggling and hurting too. So whatever your story is, that sense of being alone and rejected by this world can be overwhelming. You know, it can be a rough spot and you're not at peace with who you are when you feel like you're just rejected. Everywhere you go, you don't belong. So whatever your story, let me tell you, in Christ, those who were once rejected now belong they belong deeply and powerfully to Christ, to the family of God, deeply belong. We'll talk about that a little bit more later in the series when we talk about finding your people. But for today, I want to just re-mention that Canaanite woman, she fought to belong and you have to fight to belong as well. When I was outside of my world and outside of the Christian world, I didn't know where to turn and I had to fight to belong. I read the scriptures, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, realizes one body, many parts. I'm a strange part, but I do belong in the body. So I'm going to go belong. I'm going to choose to belong. I'm going to be like the Canaanite woman. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm not going to internalize a rejection as an identity. I'm going to go ahead and belong. And I don't care if people don't want me to belong. I know it's true from the Bible. So I'm going to grab hold of it. So I want you to believe that you belong. So I want to go to Ephesians chapter two and read this section of scripture. Ephesians two is just magnificent. And this is talking about the bringing together of the Jews and the Canaanites and all other Gentiles, the chosen people with everyone else and bringing them in together to form one body because now in Christ, those on the outside Belong in the family of God. Let's do Ephesians 2, 11 through 20. It says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Talk about rejection Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So do you belong or not? Yes, you do. If you are in Christ, if you have turned your life over to Jesus, you are not rejected by this world, but you belong. You are a child of the promise. You are a co-heir with Christ. Oh man, you belong. You got to believe that. Don't identify and believe that you are rejected. Identify and believe that you belong in the family of God. So then you got to go ahead And use some of that free will of yours that God gave you to just go ahead and belong, aggressively belong. (laughs) Reject the lie that you don't belong, that you are rejected, that you don't fit. You go ahead and believe the scriptures. Go ahead and believe Ephesians chapter two and use that free will to go ahead and aggressively belong. The world will tell you that you belong when you don't. And that feels hollow and it fades away. Jesus actually makes you a co-heir with Him of the eternal glory and goodness of God. Don't take fake belonging. My middle son, he ran cross country, and uh, he got a participation ribbon. He had just missed the the real <laughs> ribbons, you know, like the placing ribbons, and then everybody else gets a participation ribbon. And he was like the first participation ribbon, and he called it the participation ribbon of shame. It was meant to make him feel like he belonged. Like, hey, here you go. You belong. And to him, it was like, it's fake. It's hollow. It's shallow. It's meaningless. The world will tell you you belong when you don't. But Jesus actually makes you belong. Believe it and use that free will to go belong. Then the last one, we talked about Peter and his guilt, coming to peace with that. We talked about the Canaanite woman and her rejection and coming to peace with that. Lastly, let's deal with selfishness. Jesus has something wildly countercultural to say here in Luke chapter 9. So, Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus says this Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, this is an amazing paradox. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. But if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. So this is an incredible paradox that Jesus throws out there. And it is wildly countercultural because he's saying your life is not about you. Your life has a higher purpose than you. Just like Jesus' life was not about him. His life had a higher purpose than his enjoyment of his life. The recognition of people, of who he was. His life had a higher significance than that. Jesus' life was not about him. And he ended up seated at the right hand of God the Father. And your life, if you're going to come to peace with who you are, your life, you need to realize, is not about you. My life, Is not about me. We need to give up our lives for the cause of Christ, for the purposes of Christ, and to grab hold of something bigger and more important and more significant and more boy, more than who we are. This world will tell you that your personal happiness is the highest value that you can live for. Or as you know, the most modern, the most up-to-date version of that, then it's maybe even worse, and I think probably quite a bit worse, is that your Personal happiness is based on getting other people to see you in a particular way. Other people's opinions about you are the thing that give you your highest happiness and is the highest value that you should live for. Other people seeing you in a certain way. That will eventually leave you hollow and empty. Merely a living mirage. You know, when you look in the mirror, you have to look and see who you actually are. Don't go for social constructs. You know, some people call biological realities social constructs, and then they substitute the biological reality with an actual social construct. If you want to save your life, you have to give it up. Look in the mirror, come to peace with who you are. God doesn't make mistakes. You don't want to be hollow and empty, merely a living mirage, pretending to be something that you're not. Jesus calls you not to be about yourself, not to be about how you see yourself, how you get other people to see you. It's not about you. Jesus' life was about helping other people, freeing them from their guilt and shame, freeing them from the clutches of the devil and hell, bringing them into everlasting life, helping them to be included in the family of God and having a purpose that it was greater than their own personal feelings of inclusion and their own personal happiness. Jesus calls you up to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, to put other people first, to prefer others, others to make a difference in this world. And that does not leave you hollow and empty, merely a living mirage that's pretending to be something that you aren't. Instead, that brings you to a place of thankfulness. It brings you to a place of true satisfaction and joy. And it brings you to a place of peace with who you are because you don't have to have everything work perfectly for you because it's not about you. You don't have to have everybody think the perfect thing about who you are because it's not about that. It's about you being a child of God, loved by God, about God's purposes, about the cause of Christ, bringing light into the darkness, bringing love where there's hate, bringing belonging where there's rejection, bringing truth where there's lies. It's about something bigger than who you are. When you are not about yourself, that brings you to a place of thankfulness and satisfaction and peace. Selfishness, self-centeredness, egocentrism will lead you into something just hollow and shallow and it all goes away. So let's close this up. You don't need to be guilty and rejected and selfish. You can be forgiven, redeemed, brought into the family of God, made a co-heir with Christ, an heir of the promises of God, and you can be about something bigger than who you are. You can find your purpose in Christ. You can walk in God's plan. Jesus has the cure for guilt, rejection, and a pointless self-centered life. He has paid the price on the cross that we could be forgiven and redeemed, that we could be included and brought in, and that we could be about the cause of Christ making this world a better place, bringing people into a relationship with God. Jesus has the cure. We talked about nature and nurture, and then there's you. Use your free will to seek after God, to ask, to knock on the door. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your very self? You ever been successful, and then you feel like you're losing who you are? That means you're running after the wrong things, run after the things of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your great plan of redemption. Father, thank you that you don't leave us guilty, rejected, and just selfish and pointless, but you have the answer. Right now, if you need to be made right with God, just pray in your heart, Father, don't leave me guilty, but forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, wash me free. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for me. And Lord, bring me into your family, not rejected, but help me to know that I belong. And Father, let me look at myself deep in the mirror and know that it's not about my happiness. It's not about what other people think of me. It's about me walking with you and putting other people first. So Lord Jesus, I will follow you, guide me, strengthen me and help me walk in your ways. And Lord, for all of us, we seek you for peace with who we are. Let us not walk in internal turmoil, battling in our hearts, all of those thoughts and feelings and this and that. But Lord, let us lay ourselves down, honoring and worshiping you, thankful and full of joy and full of peace and full of purpose. Lord, this is what we seek. And I pray, Lord, we would all be able to receive that peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.